Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you. Now, Lord, may we just come to you with attentive minds and hearts, just putting aside anything that might obstruct uh, what you would have to say to us in your word. Father, I pray that I would humbly uh, put forth your word so that I would represent you exactly. Lord, uh, again, may your word be implanted in our souls, bringing about change, conforming us to the image of Christ. That's what we want, Lord. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was a a youth, I grew up in Fullerton, California, most of my, my youth years, grade school, junior high, and high school. And, uh... My bedroom basically was my hideout for about 12 years. So I remember my bedroom well. The different things that were hanging on the walls, the color of the room, the old uh, uh, crystal radio kit, if anybody ever had one of those little radio things, that earphones hanging right above the, my bed there on the lamp coming out of the wall, listening to the Dodger game way into the night, Ben Scully. But what I really remember was, uh, spiritually speaking, on my desk, right to the desk there was a cork board that my mother would put up little notices now and then. And and one time, for a long time, and it remained there, was a a print of a Norman Rockwell painting. And it had faces of very different people from various different countries, different economic backgrounds, etc. Maybe you, you know that one. And right in the middle were bold letters was, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, as we read here in Matthew 7, 12. So something, uh, even as, uh, well, went to church all my life, but I wasn't yet a true born-again believer, but nonetheless that uh, verse imprinted itself in my mind and in my heart, and has always been something special to me. And uh, it is Obviously, a very, very special verse, because it doesn't say the golden rule, but we, the church, have labeled it the golden rule. In other words, the most important rule, you would say. It's not a silver or bronze rule. It's the golden rule. In fact, it says there, the last part of uh, verse 12, after it says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, if, if we were to have God here today, or say Jesus, same, and we were to ask him, just summarize the revelation, your revelation to mankind, what would it be? Just give us one sentence. Yeah, okay. Treat others as you would have them treat yourself. You know, 944 pages of the Old Testament. Basically, that's summarizing the Old Testament. In my Bible, 944 pages. All can be condensed in this one thing, at least with our relationship from person to person. Treat others as you would have them treat you. It is therefore, the Lord's saying, that summarizes the whole law and the prophets. That's really the, the gist, if you were to just... Uh, you know, that's the, the heart of the message. Extremely important. Now, if people applied that to their lives, and I think I used to read this uh, shortly in my year uh, searching prior to becoming a Christian. I had an old Gideon's Bible, not an old one. A friend sent me one from, uh, he was going to Berkeley, and I was in 
I was in California at Chico, and he got one of those Gideon Bibles. They sent it to me as a joke. He wasn't a Christian, but it said on the little, you ever seen those little New Testament Gideons, pocket size? And in the flap, it says, uh, it says here, uh, put your name. So anyway, he wrote, uh, presented to, that's what it said, presented to, and then some blanks my friend wrote there, presented to Robert Conover, and this is, my, again, my best friend from childhood days, and says, presented to Robert Connor for the one and only sake of saving one's soul from hell and damnation. He said to me, as a joke. And, well, yeah, I don't think he knew how empty inside it was at the time, because I didn't really think it as a joke, and the following pages is where to find help when. And I believe I came across this verse a number of times, you know, where to find help when. And I, always, I had this huge uh, esteem and respect growing for Jesus the more I read that little Gideon's Bible. And I know I came across the, the golden rule. And now I saw it. If we were to apply the golden rule, you know, you're very philosophical, you know, junior in high college, there wouldn't be any more wars. <laughs> right? If we applied this. You're going to go out and shoot the, you know, some neighboring country, drop a bomb on them. Because, why? Well, I don't want to be treated that way. I don't want to bomb me and drop on my house. It's, or how about marital problems, marital issues that come up? Well, how would I treat my wife? Well, I, how would I want her to treat me? And therefore, I shouldn't be testy and argumentative. Neighbor issues that might spring up. How would I want my neighbor to treat me? This branch of his trees hanging over, it's always dropping leaves on my property. Go over there and tell them a thing or two how to be a good neighbor. <laughs> Might even solve problems between Republicans and Democrats. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, it's kind of similar to that uh, band uh, people would wear a bracelet a couple years ago. What would Jesus do? You know, WWJ? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, in a sense, what would Jesus do? The answer is he would tell you, you and I to treat others as you would have them treat you. Maybe we could have a bracelet instead of WWJD. We could have D-U-O-A-Y-Y-H-T-D-U-Y. <laughs> do unto others as they would do, do unto you. <laughs> You'd have well, that's in verse 12. And uh, what really comes to mind, and part of the sermon is going to be a an application of the rules of interpretation. I mean, do, do you love reading the Bible? I know you do, right? You wouldn't be here. Do you love to study the Bible? You, you consider yourself a student of the Word of oh God, okay? I say that because verse 6 is often, often mistranslated. And that's going to be in the, kind of like in the heart of this, this message. And uh, verse 12, again, that verse 12 is where we have the summary and everything, therefore, summarizing something. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. So he's summarizing something there. Now, in verse 11, he's also summarizing. Now, what are we trying to do? We're trying to find the context of this golden rule verse there. Is it, is it a unique verse that just sits by itself, or is it connected to something? Well, in that, he says, therefore, he's obviously... Summarizing something that he just spoke on. Now, John Calvin has said that, well, he and others have said that he's summarizing the whole Sermon on the Mount. And that's, that's, 
you know, possible, then probably, you know, that's even kind of what Jesus said, you know, this is the law and the prophets. It's a summary of the whole word of God. So that, that, that could be a, a possibility. But, uh, you know, when Jesus talks about anxiety, for example, in the last part of chapter 6, do not be anxious. Then applying that to the golden rule, uh, how do I want people to treat me? Don't treat me with anxiety. Might be forcing it a bit. About fasting, do not fast. Uh, fasting, uh, fast for others. You know, maybe if you want them to fast for you, that, that could be. But uh, I'm going to kind of put out a, a, um, a pr- proposition. That pr- this is, uh, I, I think it's summarizing verses 1 through 12. And that's the passage that we read earlier and what we're going to look at today. Because therefore, again, there is a therefore in verse 11, but he's summarizing the, the, the goodness of God and giving good gifts to those who are his you know, children. And he summarizes that there with a therefore. But then the next therefore is in verse 34 of chapter 6. It says, so do, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And he's summarizing anxiety, which he began up in verse 25 of chapter 6. And so he summarized it in verse 34, the last time he uses therefore. And then there's this body of teaching there, verses 1 through 12. And I think what we're going to look at is this really the passage that verse 12 summarizes. I mean, 1 through 11 in the summary. Is that the reason? Or is that the passage? And I think it is, and we're going to look at it. And reasons is, is therefore, because of verse 34 of chapter 6, there's a summary there. Now look at some other words, words that are key words. I like the, uh, the King James translation. And I don't know what your Bible says. Uh, I have a New American Standard. It's kind of the revised one. I had an older one that was printed, I think, uh, the edition in 1975. And I actually like that a little bit better because this one has changed a few words, some key words. And one of them is found in verse uh, 1 and 6. It's kind of a similar word in the... In the it says, do not judge. In other words, why should you not judge? King James says, anybody have King James here, by the way? Oh, you're not a King James church. <laughs> I don't have it either, but the word there is, do not judge lest. L-E-S-T. What does L-E-S-T mean? I looked it up on dictionary.com this morning. And anyway, for fear that. Aha. Uh-huh. Do not judge, and my Bible says this, so that. That's not really all that. So that, the Greek would say this, in order that not. That's what would be good translation. Do not judge, in order that not, you what? Will be judged. <laughs> that sounds like the golden rule in, in saying it in, an, in a negative way. I mean, not negative, like bad way, but... Negative way. I mean, you could say something positive, right? Be kind to others, and others will be what? Kind to you. And I hear the Lord uses it in a negative way. Do not judge less or for fear that they will judge you. In other words, do I want to be judged by others? Uh-uh. Therefore, don't judge people. Look at also now verse 6. Now, verse 6 is a problem. It's not really a problem. It's a, wouldn't say that it's an apparent difficulty. How's that? An apparent difficult passage. But here again, here's the same word, at least in King James. Do not give what is holy to dogs, 
And do not throw your pearls before swine. There's a word in King James. Lest, for fear that, in the Greek, in order that this may not happen to you. In order that not, what? Why wouldn't I throw, for example, pearls before swine? Otherwise, they will trample them under their feet and... Well, that's not too bad. I mean, as far as not damaging me yet. Trample them in their feet. And here's the part that I don't want. Turn and tear me to what? Pieces. In other words, I don't give swine pearls. They're going to trample them on their feet. And turn and tear me to pieces. That's a reaction, a treatment that I don't want. So what I'm saying there, that this is kind of a, we're going to go over a little bit more de- detail later, but what that is saying there, that's uh, a sense you can see the, the golden rule applied. Treat others as you would have them to treat you. Don't judge, otherwise you're going to be treated the same way. Judge. If I give pearls before swine, I'll say somebody, it's not edible. It's useless to do to a swine. So he's all ticked off, right? He turns around, turns and tears me to pizzas. Do I want to be treated that way? Absolutely not. Now, is the Lord concerned about dogs and swine? Absolutely no. <laughs> but what follows, we'll explain it later. But the Lord here is using the fear factor, you might say, to motivate the listeners into a godly example, or into a godly behavior. Now, parents, we, treat, uh, we teach our children that all the time, do you not? Use fear as a motivation or to clarify what you should not do. For example, do not play with matches, lest what? Lest you will what? Get burned. When I was growing up as a kid in Fuller in California, a guy across the street, young boy, a couple years younger than me, one day, prior to us moving there, but he was playing with matches, caught his whole upper torso and legs on fire. And he, had to, he played with matches. That's why parents say, do not play with matches, kids. Do not cross the street without looking. Why? Lest, children, a car comes along. Do not speed. Do not speed while driving. If you recall that horrific accident, my mother lives in Irvine there, and there's that horrific accident this past week, you know, five young kids. They must have been speeding. But we say things in the negative. We say things to, to create a sense of fear to stop me or you from a negative behavior, a result that is not good. Proverbs 5, and there the father telling his son, do not go near the house of the prostitute. He gives many reasons, but the last one is basically, or you will die. Your steps go down to what? To Sheol. So there's warnings like that, and we say it all the time, we teach our kids that way. And so in one way, that's what the Lord is doing here, saying the golden rule and the negative. The negative. First, let's look at the do not judge. By the way, verse, uh, anyway, well, yeah, do not judge, verses 1 through 5. This is, uh, uh, you hear this quite a bit, I don't know about you, I've heard it quite a bit during my Christian life. Have you as well? Do not judge, you make a judgment about somebody, do not judge lest you be judged. 
I became a, you know, a Christian in Sweden back in 75, and just my spiritual eyes, were, you know, I'm sure you have experienced this as well, spiritual eyes opened. My cousin, my dear cousin, was a spiritual man as well, but he got interested in the Sun Young Moon Church, the Unification Church. And uh, prior to me going to Sweden, I, I was meeting, I was telling about my interest in God, and I just had like, oh, you know, kind of nice fellowship, and he, I'm sure he wanted me to get involved. In fact, he's like one of the number top five, if not the top two in the Unification Church right now. But anyway, this is back in 75, and uh, he was still studying, he was going to school, and my aunt wrote me, and he, she was kind of excited that I had this conversion in life, and Telling, talking to me about her son Ty, who was a dear nephew or a dear cousin of mine, and she said that well, he's going to seminary and he, he's being taught by a, a, a taught by professors from all different sorts of religious backgrounds. The, the Old Testament prophet was a, was a Jewish fellow, and was a Catholic professor, and another professor from this background, this background, and then I wrote back and said, "Wow, that's really interesting. I, I hope they're." They're, they're saved. I hope they know the Lord. And I was all filled with, with zeal. And, you know, if they don't know the Lord, then why in the world are they teaching the Bible? That was, you know, pretty rough on my, my language, I'm sure. You know, she wrote back, Bob, do not judge lest you be judged. Because I, I think in the letter also I said, I, I pray for Ty to get out of the River, you know, River Moon Church. I, just spiritually it was open to me, and I, and I realized, well, that's, that's dangerous. Back, do not judge, lest you be judged. So I'm not gonna, we're not supposed to critique false teachings at all? Oh, we, we, we must judge. We must judge. The Lord isn't giving a blanket statement for everything. He's talking about a specific problem here in, in verses 1 through 5. I mean, 1 Corinthians 5, if you read that passage, and in brief, what's going on there, a, a young man has been cohabitating with the wife of his father. Now, that sounds pretty gross, but it's most likely not his mother, but probably his, uh, his uh, stepmother, or what was it, mother-in-law? Step, no, stepmother. And Paul said, you know, you, you let, you've left him in the church. You don't mourn about it. You've been kind of arrogant about the whole thing. Then he says, you, a little bit of leaven, what's going to do? A little bit of leaven is going to leaven the whole lump of dough. You leave that example of sin there in the church, the whole church is going to be affected by it. The standard of holiness is going to be lowered. You have to remove him. And he says, do you not judge those in the church? 5.12. And he goes on the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3. Look, at you're going to judge angels. <laughs> Don't you? Can't you judge matters between you? So we should be judging properly. Not that the, not the problem. The problem here in chapter seven of Matthew is that it is a hypocritical judgment. It has a log in the eye disease, you might say. People doing judging who should not be doing judging because their life does not match up to even the, the judgment that they they give out. It's a blind judgment. I cannot see really properly in order to correct somebody else. It's, it's, a, it's an ugly type of judgment. It's a type of Christianity that is going like this, you know? You know what I mean? It's each, your, your home is just too big. It's too big. You get too nice of cars. You take too long of vacations. I don't know if you've been around that, but it's, 
on the mission field. It, it's pretty rampant because everybody's supposed to be, you know, giving everything to the Lord and living suffering. You know, so you're, you're on the field and you get a car that's a little bit too nicer than the other guy who doesn't have a car or whatever. You're going to come around and start judging you. You've got too much stuff here. Venice, where we live down there, you know, Venice is a very eclectic, you know, liberal to the max, progressive society. And if you got a dog, it better be what? A rescue dog. <laughs> People go out of their way to tell you, oh, that's a nice dog. Yes, it's a rescue dog. You know, <laughs> so, oh, we bought ours down at, you know. <laughs> and if you don't drive the Toyota Prius, Gee. We can do it all as well. Homeschool. You homeschool your kids? They're going to become social nerds. You know what I mean? When you put your kids in public school, they're going to become Darwinist. <laughs> Gee. It's an ugly side of Christianity. This is negative, overly critical, better than you type of a... The Lord never intended the church to be like that. Look at, again, let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. <laughs> For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Literally in the Greek it says this. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. <laughs> and with what measure ye measure, it shall be measured unto you. So... <laughs> Judgment, judge, judge, measure, measure, measure. In other words, if you're out in, in judging hypocritically, guess what's going to come back? Maybe not from the same thing, but you're going to get a reputation soon as somebody who's overly critical, overly judging. It's going to come back on you. The word for measure there is the word metro in Greek. Things we get words like a meter to meter to measure things. A metronome, you know what that is? There's probably a lot of kids here playing the piano, right? Maybe some of you grew up playing the piano. What do you have there? In the old, especially the old, now we have a little electronic thing, right? The older days, you had a little box about this big, kind of triangular, and had this little pendulum, right? And depending on how fast it would go, you had a little weight on there, you move it up and down, and it goes, you know, you put it further out, it goes, all right, move it down. But yeah, the same word the user. In other words, you give out, you get out, your kids read Harry Potter books. Oh, yeah, well, your kids go to public school. Your house is too big. Yeah, you got a nice car. You dish it out, it's going to come back. And this is the warning that the Lord has given. Do you want to be treated that way? No. And if a guy wakes up, a person wakes up and understands, you know, he's been negative and judging of their people and it has come back on him, you know, he, he might back off and say, look at you. Morocco, where we lived uh, again for 12 years, I, I love to go out, and my wife as well, to go to the uh, Marche marketplace to buy fruits and vegetables. And when she couldn't do it, you know, I was more than happy to do it. I just love it, you know, this colorful, smelling, you know, good smells, bad smells too. <laughs> And, um, you know, I would go there, and then how people would weigh out the, the owner of the, for example, the guy who sells vegetables, he had a scale there. Not, not one with, you know, just an electronic, when you put it on there, and it, 
gives you the how much it weighs and therefore how much it costs. You can say it was one that had a, a post in the middle, balance an arm going out this way, and then the two pans, like the, the old type of scales. And so you would say, I, you know, give me two kilos of tomato, two kilos, about four and a half pounds. And so you put weights, two kilos on one side, and then get out to start putting tomatoes on one side, and then what happens? At a level. That's kind of what he's saying there. Well, when you give out two kilos of ugly judgment to people, expect two kilos, if not more, to come back on you. And he's not saying that's the way we should behave. This is not the Lord saying, as Christians, this is a saying, somebody dishes out to you, dish back to him. No, 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 no. This is saying, this is just the heart of mankind. This is what people do. You're mean to people, they're going to be mean to you. You're judgmental to people, they're going to be judgmental to you. Who hypercritical, super negative, unnecessary intrusion into the life of other people. Okay. The Lord says this, you know, look at it. Why don't you look, verse why don't you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Or why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't not know the, the log that is your own eye? I mean, it's, take care of your own eye first. For going out and... Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. Now, can you imagine that? Why does he say that? I mean, do people go around walking with logs in their eye? I mean, literally speaking? No. But what does he do? He, 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 he kind of creates this picture, a very vivid, vivid picture that's really ridiculous, right? And if it's really ridiculous, it is therefore also what? What happens? You what? You remember it. You might have heard that Jesus say that, and you're going to go home. <laughs> you, should, you should hear what Jesus said today. He said, well, why are you taking the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? <laughs> people are probably very familiar with logs. as a culture where they didn't have you know, electric stoves or gas stoves, so they used logs to burn. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Here. Can you imagine that? <laughs> can you imagine that? Guy going around like this. So he's walking. Here, let me take that speck of wood out of your, your eye. Then. <laughs> it's a memorable, ridiculous illustration. So it's, it's memorized, but then it also takes you to a spiritual application. When I was going to seminary, I wasn't one of the richest guys in the world. I'm as poor as anything because I just worked enough in order to Put me through school and, and eat. You know, whatever came in, what went right back out. A couple times I got down, I remember it was at least you know, less than a dollar. I remember looking at my checkbook, I had about 25 cents a couple of times. And then, I, then I saw one day, looking at, you know, studying for a test of weather inside, and look outside where I was staying in our, this house, and there's a little sidewalk there under a patio right in, the, in the front area there, and there's some little cracks in the sidewalk that uh, some seeds got in and a little plant grew up and began to flower and seed itself and guess what came along? A bird. Started eating the seeds. You know what I thought of? Oh, Matthew 6 there. Don't worry about what you're going to be clothed with and what you're going to eat. I take care of the birds of the air. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't worry. I take care of them. 
And I saw that bird feeding there, and I said to myself, <laughs> Matthew 6, yeah, the Lord's going to take care of me. And he did. He sees, he knows, he answers. But the ridiculous thing, why he uses the law, well, it's just so <laughs> stunning and ridiculous, and it's memorable. So verse 5 here, what, what should we do then? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, by, by that, he, he says, remove the hypocrisy from your, your life. For example, maybe you, you got a temper and you, you, you're... you're you know, people who are angry really know other people who tend to get angry. And they like to fix it. The Lord said, look at deal with your anger first. Deal with your anger first. Then go. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, he's not saying don't judge at all. I mean, the problem was that you're judging with being a hypocrite. Remove the hypocrisy. Then go out and judge righteously. Take that out. People are much more receptive, too, when you remove the hypocrisy from your life. I mean... If you're getting some uh, unrighteous, just somebody criti- criticizing you unfairly, somebody might tell you that, then an answer that is often given is, well, consider what? Consider the source. <laughs> Unfair. But someone who's godly, and Galatians 6 talks about, you know, if someone's caught in a transgression, he who is spiritual, do what? First examine himself, then go then bear the burden of your brother. So that's what we do. So really the problem is solved there. Remove the log. Then you can see clearly. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now we come to verse 6. If you have seatbelts on your chair, put them on, all right? I say that because usually when I taught this course over in the Amman, Jordan, the Bible difficulties, I take about uh, probably three class hours, or no, at least six hours to let the students try to observe and come up with the, the answer here. But we're going to do it quickly and hopefully clearly, and that we'll understand. Now, when you hear this verse, do not give what is holy dogs and throw your pearls before swine. You ought, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot. Have you, have you heard a lot? I mean, you just go shake your head or whatever. It's a rhetorical question, really. And I suppose you have. I would say the most misinterpreted Bible, misapplied Bible, verse in the Bible, is Matthew 18.20. Jesus is, therefore, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I, what, I am there what, in their midst. Misin- misinterpreted, misimplied. Well, because, boy, what he's talking about in the context, he's talking about what? Two or three what? Witnesses <laughs> in a, in a church discipline or slash restoration meeting. He doesn't want two or three, more than two or three. And we use that verse in a you know, big, large meeting. Lord, you know, there's 500 of us here. You promise that when there's two or three, you'll be in their midst. So like, oh, how much more then are you going to be here? Because we got 500. Ah, that two or three is at the second stage of discipline, and the Lord does not want any more people there. It's to be private. Anyway, that's probably the most misinterpreted Bible. And it's misinterpreted because the observations were very poor. Because you take that verse, that phrase, out of the context, and you look at it and say, oh, yeah, okay, the Lord's just talking about two or three people getting together, Christians. 
You put it back in context, and you read, oh, yeah, up there in verse 16, 17, he's saying about two or three witnesses coming to gather together. Oh, that changed my interpretation, and it changes, therefore, my application. In Sweden, I first church I went to as a saved Christian, a friend of mine said, see that girl over there? She cannot pray by herself. She has to have at least two or three people with her. <laughs> then she feels the power of the Lord, but when she's by herself, now how does she develop that? Well, she heard it all the time, misquoted, where two or three are gathered together, they're in their midst. So she included, well, uh, therefore, when I am by myself, the Lord is not in my midst. If you have poor observations, you're going to have an off interpretation, and your application is going to be disastrous. Now, this is the same thing that happens here. And I'll tell you why. Do not throw, <laughs> give what is holy dogs to throw your pearls before swine. Often they say, well, this is speaking about, don't give the holy things of God, the pearls of God's wisdom, to the gospel rejectors. And you know how you and I have used it, at least I have? I'm going by a park and I see a guy there. He's scummy. I'm not going to share with him. Dog. Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come to my house. No comes to mind? <laughs> Verse 6. It gives me an excuse to say, ah, sorry guys. In the Muslim world, often you hear this. Verse 5, do you know how it's applied? The Christian community. Heard it from a pastor. Christian community, the dogs and swine are the 99% Muslims that surround us. And you know what the, that does to evangelical zeal to reach out to them? It quenches it real quick. And I say it's because the observations were poor, it gives you a wrong interpretation, and the application can be disastrous. So we're going to try to unsolve this here by God's grace, okay, <laughs> by God's grace, because it is a difficult one. Like I said, I like to say it's an apparent difficulty, an apparent difficulty. And what people do who say this is speaking about gospel rejectors, they know they can't, they should not isolate the verse by itself because you have to establish a context. Verse 6, is in, that's a sentence there, it's not spoken in, in isolation. Most would agree, except John Calvin, <laughs> But most would agree that it's not spoken in context, so they have to find some sort of context, and they hook it up with verses 1 through 5. Now, your Bible might even indicate that with some divisions. Mine does, right there. It hooks it up with 1 through 5, but doesn't have a black in number 6 as though he's talking about a new thought there. But still, the context they're saying is 1 through 5. They're saying like this, Do, you should use some form of judgment, some sort of discernment. And here's the example. Don't give the holy things of God or the pearls of God's wisdom to those who don't appreciate it. And by the way, that's a truth. Yeah, if you're talking to somebody and they're continually, continually, continually rejecting, blaspheming the name of the Lord, you know what you do? You take off your shoes and dust the feet and move on. But you don't bring that to this passage. First, first you look at the whole context and then decide if that application or that verse from another part of the Bible is, bears light on here. Well, what we have to do is this. What does the context say? What does the context say? And I was teaching this back in 1984 at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, a fine Bible school in the middle of L.A. And I was teaching Matthew, and I was coming up this passage, and just uh, the spirit inside me, I mean, 
say that, the spirit inside me, this gave me no comfort over the, the, I'll say, the traditional interpretation of that. It just didn't seem right to me. So, as I was reading through, and what we need to do all the time is is read through, not just read that one verse, because once we take the verse out and and we just try to figure it out by itself, it's going to lead us into all strange things. We've got to find, even if it's somewhat unclear, what you do, you, you try to see what the context around it is saying. If it's clear, then the clear, what it illuminates the unclear. Then we come up with, ah, this is what it means. Anyway, what kind of gave me is a bell. The first thought was reading through the whole Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, the Lord speaks in a very, very, not, I don't say rigid, but a pattern, very systematic. And the theme that he really uses from 5, I believe, 20 on to the remainder of the chapter, he uses a theme to talk about the law or talk about a, a godly behavior that he desires. And he would say this a formula. Um, you have what? Heard it said. Or you have heard that the ancients were told or said. And he quotes the law. For example, do not commit adultery. But what? I say to you. He does that for about five or six different subjects. That's how he introduces it. You have heard that it was said. But, 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 but I say to you. Now we come to chapter 6. And it's a different pattern. It's a different pattern. Here's what he starts using now. He uses a do not to introduce a new subject. With a, then a key word, and that key word then is repeated in the following verses. For example, in chapter 6, 2, he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues. In verse 3, it says this, And when you give to the poor, this is almsgiving, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees you, sees what you do in secret, will reward you. So he introduces it by a do not give alms like the hypocrites. That's verse 2. Verse 3 talks about alms giving again, mentions it there. Verse 4, alms giving again. Same thing he does with prayer. But verses 5 through 15, and we won't read it all, but he talks about prayer. Do not, when you hear that, you go, okay, he's probably talking about a new subject. Yeah, and he goes, do not pray like the hypocrites. And he goes on and he mentions prayer five more times in what? The following verses. Then we come to fasting in chapter 6, verses 6 through 18. He says, do not fast like the hypocrites. Then he repeats fasting three more times. And what? The following verses. 6, 19 to 20. And do not lay up treasures. He's done with using the word hypocrite now. But he says, do not lay up treasures. Then he talks about laying up treasures two more times in the following verses. Verse 5. Do not be anxious. I mean, uh, verse 22 to 34. Do not be anxious. So here, do not. Ah, he's probably talking about a new subject. Anxiety. And in the following verses, four times he repeats the word anxious. Then we come to chapter 6, chapter 7. Do not judge. And so, brethren, what are you thinking? What it will be the subject? Judging. And in the following verses, two more times, judge is repeat. Now, this is why this is crucial, brethren, because we're trying to establish verse 6. How does it fit in? Is it hooked up to 1 through 5 on judging? We come to verse 6. 
do not give. Now, from all the examples that we just heard about almsgiving, prayer, fasting, laying up treasures, anxiety, judging, every time he said a do not, and then that key word, that signaled a new subject. So when he says do not give, I automatically, and this is what happened when I was, I was trying to prepare and study, and I prayed and prayed and read over it, read over it, and I said, do not give. And I, and I said, Lord, this is possibly giving a new subject, introducing a new subject. Now do the following verses repeat which word? Give. Let's see. So verse 6 says, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now here's interesting. See, now I'm in my Bible. There's a division there by the editors of the Bible, and it says prayer and the golden rule. But your Bible might say, you know, teaching about prayer or something. So you're automatically thinking, well, 7 through 11 or 12 has nothing to do with verse 6. Well, when he said in verse 6, do not give, I'm going to think, well, he's going to be talking about giving. Verse 7, ask and it shall be Ask and it shall be what? Given. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks find, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? When his son shall ask for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? Wow, the pattern is the same from chapter 6-2 all the way now to 7-11. Whenever the Lord introduced a new subject, do not. The key word in the following verses is repeated in the following verses and say this is the immediate context. So when we hook up verse 6 with verse 5, we're going to get a totally different interpretation and a totally different application. And it's disastrous, brethren. If you have in your mind, I should not be sharing the gospel with those I, that I know are going to reject. You know something? You give an inch to somebody, they're going to take what? A mile. <laughs> Like your evangelism zeal is you look for people who don't want to share, who are going to reject. That's not what it's saying. It's totally different. So that observation, now look, look at verses 9 and 10. Here's what we have, another thing. That observation about do not give, and then give is repeated in the following verses. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now what's going on here? Or what man is there among you who, when his son shall ask for a loaf, will give him a stone? And it's a rhetorical question, and who's going to do that? No one. But let's kind of dissect that. Or what man among you, when his son asks for a loaf, so the son is what? He's what? Hungry. And he wants to be fed. So he asks his dad, Dad, give me a loaf. Now, by the way, we're talk, not talking about loaves that are shaped like, you know, Wonder Bread here that we usually have in America that you know about, like this size, like that. In the Middle East, North Africa in the Middle East, you know, again, for tw- 22 years, when we bought bread at the shop down the street, it was a flat loaf 
you know, half an inch to an inch high, about that big, brownish. So the idea is, say, well, what man among you, when sons ask for a loaf, and certainly they're the same thing, that's where they cook them, put on some hot rocks or something like that, and then the bread, that big. We go down the riverbed, and I did this when I was teaching my class, and I went out the riverbed, and the old riverbed flow there, water that's going over some rock, and time and tumbling around. It can turn out to be a rock about that big, flat. The whole idea is, say, you know, what, what dad is going to do that? He's going to go say, hey, my son's hungry. I think I'll go and get a rock from the shoreline. <laughs> get the rock and go to him. You bring it to the son, and as you bring it to him, he, he might be thinking what? I'm being what? I'm being fed. My dad's bringing me food. Puts it down in front of him. Well, now that it's closer, under inspection, maybe lift it up. Dad, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> or then he says, or what man? Another thing there. If he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? The same idea. A fish, long, slender. The snakes, some of those snakes over there in the, the Middle East, in the Sea of Galilee area, long and slender. So they asked, my son wants a, a fish. Well, I'll go out in the, the brush and get the snake and pat Bottom head, put it on a plate. Here, son, here you go. And at first, my thing, oh, that, my favorite type of, and, you know, looks at it. See, he gave him an object that really was not edible, especially in the case of a stone, but even there in the Middle East, they wouldn't eat those vipers. But he gives him an object that's not edible, but it appears like what he might normally get. And initially, it might fool him. And it, most of all, it does not meet what? His need. Doesn't meet his need. Nine and ten. Two illustrations. Go back to verse six. Now, do not give what is holy to dog. By the way, holy is, is a, a problem for any of you there. Some think they're saying like this. Well, he's talking about holy meat. Well, I don't think dogs, if you give them holy meat, they're going to you know, sit there chewing up for a while and one goes, hey, Roscoe, you know, this is holy meat. How dare he give us holy meat? Now, let's go chew him up. <laughs> no. Uh, what is better there... I, there is probably, well, I'll get back to it in one moment. I think it'll be more clear. Well, let's focus on pearls. Holy is just kind of like I'm going to say. Holy is a little bit ambiguous. What is he talking about, holy? Do not throw your pearls before swine. Now, we know what pearls are. Okay, swine. Now, why in the world would you be throwing pearls before swine? Or let's just say throwing anything before swine. Why in the world would you be close to them? It's what? Dinner time. Especially if you're throwing some of the pigs, they're used to what? When somebody starts throwing to something to them, well, well, it's time to be fed. So he throws pearls. By the way, what do swine usually eat? I looked it up. I've done a lot of study on this. You could eat acorns, corn, peas. Now, I came across some wild swine one time in Northern California, in the foothills there, and I came up a bunch, a bunch about two or three, and man, they, they got it and they ran away. But look down, they were rooting, rooting. What they're rooting for are the little bulbs, wildflowers. They're about that big, the bulbs on the ground. White things, about this big. See? So when someone takes some pearls and throws them before the swine, the swine's going to think, it's dinner time. He comes upon it, just like the sun coming upon the dish that the father gave him. Trampling on their feet means what? Totally useless to him. Might be to you, valuable, right? But totally useless. And then the pig, 
after he gets done trampling feet, he turns, he stares you in the eye, you start running, well, then he starts running after you, and he tackles you, and he starts gnawing on you. Because you did not meet Porky's what? Need. You fooled him. That's the same, that's almost exact illustration. See, the Lord's not concerned about how we treat pigs and dogs. <laughs> By the way, the word per, uh, holy, some authors say it could be a mistranslation. If, if Matthew wrote in Aramaic, Aramaic and Hebrew use the same cons- letters, consonants. If you don't put the vowel markings in, the word for holy in Hebrew is K-D-S-H. It's actually three letters. S-H is one word. K-D-S-H, Kadosh. And the word in Aramaic for earring or ring is K-D-S-H, exactly the same. So some who are proponents of that Matthew was written in Aramaic would say, well, the original was written as rings or earrings. And then later a a guy comes along and he's translating and he sees K-D-S-H, it's in Aramaic, meaning earrings, but he's thinking Hebrew and he mistranslates it in Hoi. Now, we don't have any documents for that, so it's nothing... uh, I like it just because it fits real well because you have, well, you have a, a double Hebrew parallelism here. Dog, swine, give, throw, holy pearls. There's it, something there. But all, there's a, those two examples in 9 and 10. The object given is given. It appears to what the person wants, shape and size, but it is not edible. So if it's holy, I would say it's probably a utensil from the the temple, a holy utensil that was used, something that would cause a dog to come upon it, trample it on the feet, and turn and tear you to pieces, just like the swine. So it's a reaction that is not what you want. Now, again, I think the whole reason why the, the Lord uses dogs and swine is because, again, like the, the log in the eye, you got this ridiculous illustration that is very, what? Memorable. The mastery of the teachers, he always is using something from their, you know, the walks throughout the, the countryside, and there in the Sea of Galilee, there are a lot of Gentiles there, and they, that's where all those thousands of swine went down into the Sea of Galilee once. So you see somebody giving something to, to swine, what's going to kick in now is a spiritual principle. Ah, I should meet the need. I should meet the need of others. So that's what it is. It's an illustration, and it's cooked, and again, it's hooked up to 7 through 11, just like verses 9 and 10, similar illustration. It is vividly, vividly, dramatically, and memorably teaching how you should treat other people. So, moving on to there, that's why we come to verse 6. Verse 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now he's talking about prayer. Yeah, he's talking about prayer, but primarily the giving nature of God. That's the, that's the key word that is repeated, repeated about God. He gives, he gives. Brethren, as you think about this in the Golden Rule, just, just, just think of the, 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 the prayer life with God. Well, when was the last time that I really sought after God and asked? Jesus is here, what he's... he's, he's Saying, with confidence, with confidence, when you ask, you will receive. It's not a waste of your breath when you're on your knees praying before God. It's like a double, triple here because you ask and you will receive. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to unto you. Then the repetition of the same thing. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Because prayer is just like this. It's, a, it's a, an exercise of faith because we can't see God. And what Jesus is trying to do in painting this picture of God, well, though you do not see him, you believe that he is there. And if you seek him, he will reward you, Hebrews 11. So God hears is what he's saying there. God hears. That's why David in Psalm 116 writes this. I love the Lord. Why? Because he hears my voice and my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. And that's what Jesus is trying to, again, just teach his disciples, the people who love him. Look at God hears. Not only that, when you pray, you get on your knees to pray, he inclines his ear to hear what you have to say. This gives confidence like 1 John 5, 14 to 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So it's about prayer, yes, brethren, but it's about the giving nature of God. That's why he goes now from the, the, the argument from the lesser to the greater. What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, well, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, politically incorrect, 100% right here. <laughs> you know, you're a politician or a ruler, they say evil like that. But if you, being evil, thank you, Lord. You know, it, why? It rings truth with your soul, doesn't it? Because we are evil inside. If you, the evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, see, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, who is good, will give good gifts to those who ask him? Wow. Now, I'm evil. My son asked for a bike one Christmas. I gave him a bike. <laughs> I'm evil. I gave him a good gift. Is that that picture that mine? How much more my Father in heaven, who's good, there's not an ounce of evil in God the Father. Ask and he gives. In verse 12. See, in everything, therefore, see? Everything. He's expanding in it now. Not just in giving and judging. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Do not judge lest you be judging. Don't judge people. Don't treat them that way. The illustration of the dog and swine. Look at it. Meet people's needs. Give, give, give. The golden rule, you know, it's a shame that verse 6 is really not put in its proper place, but when you understand it in its context, it's a beautiful illustration. December 6, 1917, and during the midst of World War II, the SS Mount Blanc, a uh, ship, large ship, a French cargo ship, was laden down with uh, ammunition, wartime ammunition, laden down with a ton of it, tons of it. And it came as it's coming into dock up in Halifax, Nova Scotia, just kind of east of the state of Maine. It ran into a Norwegian ship, and a fire broke out on the ship. It came into port right there in Halifax, Within 20 minutes, the worst, the most magnanimous explosion 
in the history of mankind prior to the nuclear, nuclear bomb took place there. Wham! Boom! 40, 400 acres were obliterated. The whole town, one section of this whole town was wiped out. 2,000 people were killed, 900, 9,000 were injured. So you look at pictures of it, go on, Google it, Halifax explosion. It's decimated the place. City of Boston, not too far down, immediately, immediately got together relief supplies, tents, blankets, food, medicines, loaded up a whole train of it and sent it to Nova Scotia. 1971, Nova Scotia every year has sent Boston a tree as a remembrance of their thanks for helping them out on that day in December 6, 1917. Recently, with the bombings at the Boston, Mass the Boston Marathon, this past April, not too long ago, you remember that all, Nova Scotia Premier, uh, Premier Daryl Dexter announced today, this is a quote, that the provincial government will donate $50,000 $50, to the Massachusetts General Hospital for Children in response to the bombings at the Boston Marathon. And he said this, when we were in need, Bostonians were there. That's 96 years earlier, they remember. You treat others kindly, give, and it will be, you will be treated in return the same way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this just so simple truth, but oh God, we need help to apply it to our lives. Help us to remember how we want others to treat us so we should treat them. Lord, we thank you and we give praise in Jesus' name. Amen.